Welcome back to A Twist of Faith. I'm your host, Alex Parkview. This week we're going to pick up on Canto 8, which covers the end of Circle 5, which was Styx with the Wrathful and uh, the Ferryman Phlegeus. We're going to get into the beginning of Circle 6, which is Dis and the Home of the Fallen Angels. And uh, Dante and Virgil, when we last left them, were in Circle 5. They had just seen the Solon with their parody of the holy hymns that they're gurgling under the muck and the eternal stench in the bog of despair, as I have so lovingly decided to name it. So this week we're going to see how they find their way out of Circle 5, and we're going to get into Circle 6. And we're about halfway-ish through the Inferno. There's still a few cantos. Remember, we're not going to cover the Purgatorio and the Paradiso in order. I'm actually going to be doing a couple bonus episodes. Some may even be a little off-topic, but I will find a way to work faith into them, as that is the premise of the whole podcast. So don't feel like it's going to be too strange. So I'm just going to take a quick look here at some stuff, and we're going to jump right into this. Alright, Dante and Virgil are standing at the edge of the swamp in the marsh of Styx. They're still at the end of Circle 5 where we last left them, and they see a great tower in the distance with no name, which launches forth a signal of great flame. Now, in the Inferno, it's just, obviously there's going to be fire because it's hell, but in the actual work, the Inferno, again, Dante's descriptive use with his word choices and just the way he phrases things, if you're actually reading his work, the poetry, the imagery, the symbolism that he puts forth is amazing. I can't top it. I'm just breaking it down Barney style as I always do, but I mean, to truly appreciate this work, I think you actually have to read it. I'm just kind of talking y'all through it. Now the signal of great flame is answered without hesitation by the ferryman Phlegeus. He's the boatman of the sticks and the third cousin twice removed of Caron, the infernal ferryman that we met at the beginning of our journey. Now, he sees the signal flame, and he just gets his fucking rocks off. He's super happy. He approaches with such speed as to almost seem instantaneous, because he thinks and hopes he is picking up new souls for fresh hellish torment. And I think that's worth noting, that the denizens of the Inferno, not the occupants, but the denizens, the ones that, like, run the shit, they are so like excited, happy, just uncontrollably amused at the thought of torturing these souls and delivering their eternal punishment, that they drop everything without a second thought, just to come along and, ha-ha, fresh souls to fuck, let's get it on. Like, they are so into the torture. And that's important because, again, Dante, with his fucking word choices, his descriptions, like, if when you read it in the actual poem, he talks about he came with such speed and the fresh torment and new souls just it paints this fucking vivid picture of how excited and happy with his line of work this guy is carting souls across to torture them for eternity i mean it's beautiful in a dark twisted kind of way as phlegeus approaches however he howls with rage and disappointment because he realizes that he's been duped it's just dante and virgil Somebody that's already in the Inferno and somebody that is a mortal soul visiting, passing through the Inferno. Damn, no souls to torture. What the fuck? Now Virgil, of course, has to, you know, lay the proverbial smack down. He uses his hell guide pimp powers that he seems to have to silence Phlegeus and obtain secure passage for himself and Dante. It's important to note that Dante would be fucked without Virgil, too, because 
he's going through, but he wouldn't have made it past the fucking first circle with Caron, so Jesus' cousin there. I don't know if they actually were, but I'm using it that way. But Dante wouldn't have made it past him, even, without Virgil. Like, all these heavenly imbued powers that Virgil has. Dante would be standing there scratching his nutsack still. He wouldn't have made it through any of the circles. But, again, Virgil to the rescue. Shut the fuck up, Phlegias. Take us across or I'm going to beat you down, basically. And Phlegias begrudgingly just says, fine, fuck it, whatever. So they begin their uh, journey across the mud, the muddy muck of the Marsh of Styx. And while they are crossing, they see this soul that's just covered in the grime and stank and mud and filth of it all. And it is Filippo Argenti. He is one of the wrathful from the Circle of Five. He is of the family name Adamari. And in life, that family were extreme political rivals of Dante's. Like, think Romeo and Juliet, you know, the... Um, Capulets and the Montagues, like the ongoing feud, like Dante hates this guy, this guy hates Dante, just because of some familial bullshit that they dealt with in life. And so Dante recognizes this douchebag. He's probably pretty fucking happy he's dead, because like I said, he hated him, so he's just like, hey, hey, fuck you, buddy. So as a possible way of insulting not only him, but his very lineage, Dante proceeds to berate Argenti. Like, he just starts tearing into this guy. You fucking useless fuck. Fuck you. I mean, obviously, it's more eloquent in the poem. You know how that, that goes and how I am. But Dante just fucking tears him a new one. And in a way, he basically gives into his own wrath, derp, that he feels towards Filippo. Now, they're passing th past the circle, which contained the wrathful, and Dante is giving into his own wrath, which brings up the point like nature nurture like is Dante just this big of a prick or is the circle of hell itself perhaps rubbing off having some influence over him and making him act in such a hurtful vengeful wrathful manner it's just it's interesting the way he kind of works that in and to pick up on that like it tells us he's berating him and yelling at him and telling him he's a useless fuck but is it because he just hates the guy or is it that plus the external factor of the hellish magic of Circle 5 with the Wrathful. Just something to ponder on that one. But Dante straight gives full bore to his wrath. He wishes for Filippo to be further tormented than he already is. And Virgil, of course, he's fucking fangirl cheering him on. Like, you go, girl, get that shit. Fuck this guy. Kick his ass, sea bass. Like, I love you, Dante. Marry me. Not really, but you get the point. <laughs> now, you may remember me mentioning in past episodes discussions that actions have consequences that is a recurring theme it's a message that i am trying to push through with the show because regardless what you believe in there's always a consequence for an action and there i mean that's even scientific for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction like actions have consequences you can't just do whatever the fuck you want and expect nothing to ever happen to you for it whether it's in life or in whatever afterlife you choose to ascribe to with your belief system actions have consequences but this gives us a prime example of that. Because Dante's like wishing all this extra fucking torture and damnation on Filippo Argenti. And all the other damned souls just kind of fall upon him and start fucking dismembering him at Dante's behest. And they proceed to rip this fucking soul to pieces. Like, fuck you. I don't know what you did to Dante, but we're going to fucking make you suffer for it, you fuck. 
So he just gets ripped to shit and probably just drowns in the marsh. It doesn't, like, say all, but, I mean, he's in hell. He can't really die again, maybe. I don't know if Dante ascribes to his second death. I haven't seen evidence of such yet. <clears throat> but uh, in the distance, they see the flaming red towers of Dis, which is the capital of hell. It is so named Dis because Pluto, Hades, whatever name you're familiar with, was also occasionally called Dis. So the powers of Dis are basically the metropolis of Satan in Dante's usage of the terminology. The lower levels of the Inferno, remember we just finished up the upper levels. The lower levels of the Inferno lie within the city walls beyond the gate. And the significance of lower hell is that for the first time in the Inferno, fire is used to torment the damned. And at its very center of the lower hell, Satan himself is forever trapped in a great ice cap. So even the devil is prisoner to the Inferno. It's not just like he's running around running shit like a lot of different religions lead you to believe. He's not just this fucking horned prick sitting on a throne. He's running nowhere because he's fucking entombed in this ice wall. Like the ultimate punishment probably because he's the fallen angel, the first of the fallen. He is being forever condemned by God. So, I mean, Lower Hell has a lot of significance because the first few levels, remember, yeah, there was punishment, there was torture, but it was just based on the crime and the punishment fitting the crime, what you sow, so too shall you reap, that kind of thing. And now we get into, like, the really hellfire and brimstone kind of shit in Lower Hell, or we will be when we get into it more. A little bit of a spoiler for you, I guess. But the ferryman, Phlegius, brings them to the Great Iron Gate, which is presided over by the rebellious angels. Now, the rebellious angels, in case you're wondering, because Lucifer, obviously, the morning star, the great whatever that went against God, pride cometh before the fall, eternal damn... You, you know the stuff, like the angel that was cast out, dared to challenge God for the throne because God loved his creation of man more than he loved the angels which he had created first. I mean, anybody with basic biblical knowledge is familiar with that concept. <clears throat> but the rebellious angels are not like Satan, Lucifer level angels, but these are the truly evil angels who rebelled against God, basically they sided with Lucifer, but they didn't start it. They didn't have the cojones to challenge God themselves. So fucking, they're not entombed in the great fucking ice wall. They're just here at the city of Dis, guarding the gates into further damnation against any who might try to come and free the souls that are encased there. They refuse to let Dante and Virgil pass, and it's worth noting that for the first time, the very first time, because remember, Virgil's the fucking fangirl with all the heaven powers, the first time Virgil is unable to cow them. He cannot cow the opposition because the power of human reason, which he symbolizes, the, that like human reasoning, remember when we talked about Limbo, all the philosophers and such, and that was Virgil's home. He was part of Limbo, so he wasn't even part of the torment and the punishment. He was just one of those doomed to live absent the light of God, but he still had the light of human reason. <clears throat> so the power of human reason, the symbolic stance of what Virgil represents, is not enough to overcome the very essence of these evil, rebellious angels. All that Dante and Virgil can do at this point Surprise, surprise, because, again, religious work, again, Catholicism, 
All they can do is pray for divine intervention and await a heavenly messenger to clear the path. Maybe it'll be an archangel. Maybe it'll be Beatrice, because she's been imbued with all these fucking powers in the works of the Inferno. It may, like, there's no telling what, but they can't just get by on their own accord because they have to get past these angels. And the angels aren't just going to fucking be like, oh yeah, you want to go fuck with Satan and pass through P-Mike? No, they're like, fuck you. Get the fuck out of our city. You don't belong here. We're not going to let you in. Go to hell. While you're there, fucking rot for a while, because why not? It's just... it's Virgil is very empowering to Dante's journal, but this also shows that there's limits to what people can do and accomplish if you want to transition it like I like to do into a real-life scenario. Like, you can be great at something, but we all need that extra help, right? Like, Virgil, he's uh, helped guide Dante. He's helped him overcome the opposition. He's helped him get safe passage. He's helped him interact with these damned souls. And all of this is accomplished, again, through that light of human reason. Not the light of God, mind you, because he's separated from that. But he's accomplished it through his human reasoning. But human reasoning can only take you so far. Sometimes we need to reach outside of what is possible in our mortal human understanding. And I think that's why a lot of people honestly ascribe to a belief in the like supernatural, the heavenly, the hellish, whatever. Because they realize that there are things in life that can't be done of their own accord. I mean, why do people pray? Because they need help that they cannot get to accomplish something on their own be it good, bad, whatever. I mean, you've heard of people praying for downfalls, wealth, riches, love, all of it. It's very, very, very human of Dante to put that in there, especially given his faith. I mean, Dante, obviously Catholic. In our discussions we've touched on, this is all based on the Catholic faith, the Catholic teachings. So for Dante to put that in there, he's basically telling the reader, hey, reader, even I couldn't get by with human reasoning and human understanding, a.k.a. Virgil. He's like, so you, too, dear reader, may need to, once in a while, reach out to that force that is greater than yourself. It's just, it's so simply written and symbolically suggested that some people might miss that tie-in. But... To realize that you are not all-powerful, that there are limits to what you can accomplish, is not a bad thing. And if even if you don't believe in the divine, you have to reach out to other people. I mean, obviously Dante's leaned on Virgil, but if you want to take it outside of the realm of religion with that message, sometimes you just have to lean on other people to get through things. Hell, I do it. Like, I'll for you listeners, because you don't get all the great details of my personal life, but I will call her the Lady Parkview. There are times when I lean on her, she leans on me, because there's things that we just can't get through and survive on our own. One of the bonus episodes I mentioned that I'm going to be looking at uh, in the intro there, this month and a few upcoming and up through and including June are like soul crushing for me, for lack of a better description, because of losses I've encountered, memories, nightmares as a result, just depressive anything. You can't overcome your own emotions at times, so sometimes you have to have that person to lean on, be it a 
great close friend, which you know I have close friends. We've talked about Allie, my fucking dear favorite homie, who is the reason I started this podcast. I obviously have friends to lean on, but there's certain parts of my life that I won't talk about with just anybody. I've always kept my circle small. So I'm going to be looking at like leaning on other people, love in general, loss in some of these bonus episodes. And like I said, I'll find a way to tie in faith because it's easy enough with some of the loss because one very specific loss, which uh, is upcoming, is that of my father. And that like fucking shattered, shattered my faith in the divine when it happened because why the fuck would he be taken from me at such a young age? He was 56, passed of a heart attack. I was 27 when it happened. So things like that, like those extreme losses, those extreme pains in your life, you're not made to deal with those alone. You're not meant to deal with those alone. You have to have a support system. And that's where Dante and Virgil are at now. Like it's not the loss of a father in their case, but they need that support system because even the two of them together cannot overcome this new obstacle. It's just human nature again, I will say. It's very human to seek out help from other people, to admit that you are not this like immortal being yourself that just can get through everything unscathed because life fucks us all from time to time. And it's important to have people in your life that you can truly confide in, share your deepest, darkest, nastiest thoughts with, and be reassured that this too shall pass. And I know that's a commonplace enough saying, but the reason I am so fond of this too shall pass is because of my dad. He always used to tell me this too shall pass. He also always told me man plans and God laughs. We'll see if God's laughing at Dante and Virgil when we pick up in the next canto. It's just, I don't even know. Like, you can't survive life entirely on your own and truly thrive in your life. You might be able to get by, but I've been in some pretty dark places, like depression-wise, at points in my life. And I may not be here doing this podcast had I not had people I could reach out to. So don't be afraid to ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. Even the immortal Dante and Virgil of the works of this, with all their supernatural shenanigans, realize they need help. Asking for help is not a weakness. It's a necessity sometimes. So that's really all I got to say about it. Uh, We'll see what happens in the next canto, who comes to answer their call, who comes to clear the way for them to continue their journey. I'll be back in a second with some more tie-in thoughts, even though I kind of tied some stuff in right here in my main body of this episode. I'll tie in a few things just because it's what I do. But yeah, this episode really made me refocus on some things that I didn't care to focus on in my own life especially given the time of year it is for me. But it's important to put it out there because how listening to this helps you deal, I guess, mission accomplished. Be right back with a few thoughts just in a few seconds. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with how podcasts are made, but the way I do it, I record my episodes in like two to four segments, depending on what I'm covering. And I piece them together into the one long episode that's why sometimes i say in a few seconds but it picks right up in the episode because it's a segment break in between but my favorite part honestly about doing this show other than covering all the material 
and continuing to honor my father in doing so, even though he's no longer with me. My favorite part is that I'd never know where the fuck I'm going to go with my tangents, my tie-ins, my rants until I get going and I think of stuff along the way and I just word vomit it all over for all of you. I mean, if you like it, great. If not, I don't really care. It's my show. But, uh, like this one, right? I wasn't, I was planning on it being more dark and twisty just because of all the, like, dismemberment of uh, Filippo Argenti there. But I ended up focusing on the fact that you need to reach out to people for help in life. And I wasn't even planning on going that direction with this episode. So that's going to be my takeaway. It's not even going to be the usual, like, religious Danteism that I've been throwing in. I just want to touch on that a bit more, the reaching out thing. Like, I don't know how to say it other than you're not meant to go through life completely alone. There are people that do, but human interaction is so crucial to getting through life. Like, I can go days, weeks, months without talking to people. There's people I've cut out of my life completely, but... At the same time, there's those people, even the ones that I thought were gone from my life once upon a time, yeah, I'm talking about you, Lady Parkview, that found their way back to me and died to them six fucking years later. It's just... There's got to be something, man. There's got to be. Like, yeah, choosing to love somebody is one thing. Because, you, you know, you have to continue to choose love over hate, try over abandon and failure, etc. But there's got to be something because to feel what you feel after six years, how the fuck else can you explain it? I mean, I, I'll touch back. I know we're on the inferno, but I'll touch back on Ecclesiastes from the Christian Bible. One of the main messages of the book of Ecclesiastes, Old Testament, for those who aren't familiar, it's not one of the hellfire and brimstone books of the Bible. This one talks about like there is a season for everything in life. There's a time for change, a time for everything. There's a time for uh, new things. There's a time for love. There's a time for life, death, like everything, everything in its season, everything in its time. There's a time for everything, all the stages of life, right? And that message like ties in deeply with part of how I live my life. The Not a religious belief, but just a belief that I formed in my life. That everything happens for a reason. I hold on to that so tightly that everything happens for a reason because if it doesn't happen for a reason, then my life doesn't make a whole fucking lot of sense. I have to believe there's a reason for everything. Good, bad, otherwise. All the losses I've been through, all the shit I've been through, all the growing pains I've been through, not physically, the emotional type. Like, all of it that you go through makes you who you are. You see these things on, like, social media all the time. Would you rather go back in time and change your life or have a shitload of money? I will always take the shitload of money because, I'll, again, I'll use my losing my dad just because that's really heavy on my mind this time of year. So you'll probably hear more of that in a couple episodes. But as much as I miss him, as deeply as I loved him and continue to love him even though he's gone, I would not bring him back. And it kind of pains me to say it, but it's true. And I know he would agree with me because he always told me life is for the living. And on some level, I take that to mean that as long as you're actively living your life, you're going to live your life. Just 
once you're done living, you may as well be dead even if you're alive. So as much as I would love to see him again, hug him again, all that good shit, his death was a catalyst in my life in so many ways. So many. And I just... I feel like I've grown because of that loss. It hurts like hell, don't get me wrong. God, it fucking hurts. But it also helped shape me into who I am just as much as he helped turn me into who I am with what he taught me when he was alive. So even in death, my father continues to influence my life. Because the way I react to things, the way I approach things, I try to live my life in a way that it honors him. I know I've made some decisions that he would not be proud of, but I know like, he would be fucking cheering for me harder than anybody right now with where I'm at right now in my life. Because, spoiler for those of you who are unaware, Alex Parkview here is a hopeless fucking romantic, always been. Guess who I got it from? My dad. He said a life without love isn't worth living. And I'm glad I fucking took that to heart recently. Fuck, man. Like, the way shit happens in life. I mean, me doing this podcast, right? And then me reconnecting with the Lady Parkview and then us finally being at the places in our own individual lives that we needed to be at to truly appreciate one another and be there for one another. It's just, I don't fucking know. Like, so, yeah, like, I never would have believed any of what I believe regarding that stuff if my dad was still here. Because to hear it is one thing. To feel it after he's gone, it's a whole different thing. And all I can do anytime something good like that happens, I kind of smile to myself. I look up and I just say, thanks, Dad. Thanks. I wish I could hug him again. I wish I could talk to him again. Whether or not he can fucking hear me, I thank him on a daily for everything he taught me. Everything he instilled in me. Alex Parkview would not be Alex Parkview without his late Papa Parkview. It's just it's so surreal to me. And again, that's that need to have other people. Because, God, I don't know how I would survive the shit I deal with <laughs> regarding his loss. The loss of my sister is also upcoming this month. And I just, I don't know how the fuck I would get through any of it if I did not have that shoulder to cry on, that chest to lay on, those arms to wrap around me. I don't care if you think it's fucking corny. Emotions aren't weakness. Go fuck yourself if that's what you think. It's just, you have to have somebody that you can connect with on that level. And yes, like I said, I have friends, but there's such a difference between... Just talking about shit with your friends or your friends saying, oh, I'm there for you, I got you, are you okay, checking in on you. And having somebody that you can just 1,000% let your guard down and reach out to. And you know, like, I just know. Even before we talk about anything, I just know that if I need to, I'm going to feel better after I talk to her about it. I'm not making this like a big lovey-dovey thing. It's just my life is reflected in my art. This podcast is my art, along with the poems that some of you get to see on some of my socials. And my life right now, I wouldn't change a fucking thing. 
much as it pains me that he's gone, I would not change a fucking thing. Much as it, I miss my sister, I've grown since he passed. Like, the loss of her has helped me to grow as well. Losses suck. They hurt like fuck. God, do they hurt. But we learn so much about ourselves and our lives and just everything about life in general and how we deal with them and how we choose to proceed after them. So never be ashamed to reach out for help. Never be ashamed to ask for help. Like I said in the body of this, Dante and Virgil, they're like these super fucking god pimp people traveling through hell and they need help. If they need help, who the fuck are you to say that you might not need it, that you can get by just fine on your own? I mean... I don't remember. I probably mentioned it in an episode. I'm a veteran. You know, if you watch any news source, if you have any social media, you know that veteran suicide is one of the highest fucking things in the world as far as causes of death. And if more vets felt comfortable and less stigmatized by the thought of reaching out and asking for help, then that might actually make a difference. Like I said, this went in a completely different direction than I had like thought it was going to in my head. But that's part of what I love, stream of consciousness. You all get the real me on this shit. You get bits and pieces of my personal, but you do get the real me. Everything I say is the real me. Like I said, the one thing I'm not going to tell you all is my personal religious beliefs until a million years down the road when I finally decide to make that episode. So you'll just have to keep wondering on that. But I am 100% authentic with you guys. I'm not just saying shit to say it. I'm not just trying to sound cool. I'm not trying to sound like a sappy, lovey fuck. Like, my life is reflected in my art. And a twist of faith is my art. Hopefully I help you all along the way with what you need to figure out. Whatever you're trying to understand in your own faith issues of your life. I will never tell you what to choose. I will never mock you for those things. But if I help any of you come to terms or find a faith set of beliefs to ascribe to, then I feel really good about that. And I feel even better if by listening to this and like hearing a little bit of the reality that is me and me behind it, then I feel really good if from hearing that you feel better about yourself and I maybe save you from yourself by encouraging you to reach out and get help when you need it. I don't really have much left in me because this shit kills me to talk about. I'm not being satirical with my choice of words. It literally kind of just tears me up. It's extremely personal, extremely painful, but I, I don't have much else to say on this other than don't be a shitty human. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Till next time, I'm Alex Parkview, and this has been A Twist of Faith.